And we welcome you into episode 15 of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble coming up on the program today. Jordan Reed from the Draft Network, senior NFL draft analyst, uh, a riser in the draft ranks in terms of people that dissect things as well as anybody. He will, uh, he will join us. We've got some great insight on the quarterbacks, on the offensive linemen, uh, and what the Browns may or may not be able to do in the second round. That's all coming up on the program today. But, Gribbs, we kick things off right off the bat uh, with a tweet from Adam Schefter, late day on Wednesday, and the tweet reads this, a concern has emerged in recent days. There are certain coaches and front office staffers reluctant to have their IT employees in their homes for fear of the virus spreading and vice versa. Some IT employees are concerned about going into others' homes to equip them for the draft. They're really trying hard to get this draft moved, and we think we know who they is, but pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I'm not one to, dis- to dismiss anyone's concerns about the spread of this virus. I mean, it's, it's obviously very serious. We're reaching a, a peak in it where it's just becoming alarming, the amount of people that are being affected by this. So I don't want to dismiss, you know, any of those concerns, but – there, there really has been a drumbeat these last few days of people raising one concern about this, one concern about that. And uh, I just am I'm of the opinion that I, I can't see, I, I don't see the NFL changing their mind on this point. I think they've thought this through and they like that date that, that has emerged, that, that they're going to stick with it. And I think this is going to be a new experience for everyone, like we've been saying over and over again. And I think they're going to find a way uh, to make this work. And, and I think that change is hard for a lot of people in the NFL. And I, I, I don't imagine any people that are participating in this draft are excited about this format as compared to the, the way they're used to doing it. Uh, I guess they just have to take solace in the fact that they're all going through it together. And I, I think that each team is going to have to find a way to adapt. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski was, was at the forefront of this last week, just saying that there's, they're not going to make excuses uh, throughout the, this entire ordeal. I mean, they, they're, they're adapting and, and figuring things out and using technology to their advantage. And I just think that that's what's ultimately going to have to happen. And I mean, it was understandable. People are going to have issues to bring up. I think the hacking issue is a, is a concern. I, I, I think that's a valid one. Uh, and I think that this is a valid concern, but ultimately I think they're going to find a way around it and, and still carry through with this draft when it's, when it's going to be. I know the XFL is not on the same level as the National Football League, but they've they've done the virtual draft, not once, yeah. but twice. So there's no reason it can't be done. And I, and I totally agree with you that you, everybody reacts differently to what's going on right now with the coronavirus. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's wearing a mask when you go to the grocery store or go out or, or not wearing a mask and, and social distancing and, I get everybody's fears about it, but the commissioner has spoken, as you said, it, it's going to happen. Be ready because when it's time for you to pick, it's time for you to pick two weeks from now. Yeah. I'm just curious. I, I, and I guess we'll probably learn about more about this as you go on. What, what all is this is it setting up in these GM's houses? I, I, I wonder what kind of setup these guys are, are needing. Uh, Cause you would think, the internet would be fine, but obviously it's more than that. And I'm just, I'll be really curious to learn what each home office is like, if the NFL is advising GMs on what to have at their disposal, how to go about this. I imagine that they're not going to release this before the draft in fear of 
hackers or people trying to disrupt whatever technology they're setting up. But uh, it'll be fascinating to learn what they ultimately use and 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 whose setup is the is is like like what Andrew Berry's uh, personal war room is going to look like. Well, and I thought it was interesting. You made mention of it. We'd love to see what building the Browns somehow, some way, even if it's the coach or GM showing his office uh, and war room. But they're going to have to get things turned around quickly because the NFL wants to do a mock. They want to do a run through to make sure everything works and that everybody's up to speed. This is going to be an awful quick turnaround here two weeks out from the draft. Yeah, and I guess it's just going to – I mean – Everyone's been challenged in this way, and I, I just I just think it's it's gonna bring out the best in in some departments that you never thought you had to rely on uh, in in the draft. I think it, it's bringing people together. I mean, you know it better than I'm, we're we're talking to people in the office that we don't usually talk to all that much. I mean, we're we're all coming together in in different ways here in the way we do our jobs, and it's what it's just what necessary what's necessary and now. I think four weeks in, I would say this never feels normal for me, but this is feeling a lot more normal to me than it did week one. And I think the more, the longer this takes, the more comfortable we'll be feeling with the setup. And I imagine it's been the same for the football people. They haven't been in the building much. They had to do free agency in a different way, and they're going to have to do the draft in a different way. I'm sure day one was weird, but I'm sure it's getting more and more normal for them. And I think by the time that the draft rolls around, uh, most GMs will, will feel comfortable, at least, with their setup going into it. All right. The other piece of news here since we last spoke on Tuesday's best podcast available, uh, Adrian Claiborne signed with the Browns. The Browns still have a need for a pass rusher, possibly. They need some depth. We do know that for sure. There's still one big name in free agency out there, and his name is Jadavian Clowney. And things are not going well in terms of negotiating with the Seahawks. And today, Adam Schefter says, well, the Browns are one of six teams that uh, could be an option. How realistic? Again, you've got Olivier Vernon's big contract. And, and Vernon's capable of playing at the same level that Clowney has played at in the past. It's just a matter of him staying on the field. But some big questions, but yet that name still continues to follow around the Browns just a little bit. Yeah, and I think with Clowney, I mean, I think there's no dismissing the talent. I think he's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, even if the numbers, maybe the sack numbers don't justify it. But if you just watch him eye test, he's really good. And it, and I think that he's there's an understandable reason why he, he's trying to command this kind of number. I, I do wonder if the the situation that everyone's in without – physicals and things like that if that's maybe making people a little bit more reluctant and I think that you know it's understandable there these quarterbacks got signed to big numbers a lot of players signed some big deals but you know this is some serious money that, pe that uh, people are talking about and I think that I wonder if that is playing into the delay in this but for the Browns I mean Browns have the money to make it work they have the the need that that obviously is there so it, it makes sense that the Browns uh, are in the mix. So it, uh, we'll see how this plays out. It's, I don't think this would be, this would certainly put a cherry on top to the, uh, to your free agency acquisition. I don't think it would break your, your off season by not getting him. So it's, I, I would consider it kind of a, a luxury item in, in terms of you do have Olivier Vernon uh, in that position. So it, it, it would be, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, it would certainly bring a lot of excitement to the table. Uh, I think he would make your team better. 
but we'll just see how this plays because it, it, it just it's one of those things where the Browns are in a position where they have guys coming up for extensions where you don't want to bog yourself down in a contract you regret. So I think that's why I think teams are understandably being a little bit more methodical with this and and not rushing into anything. Well, and right now, just rightfully so. I mean, there's nothing going on. There's not. It's not like they're missing reps. It's not like they're missing mini camps and you know, installations and things like that, there's nothing going on. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, I think they've got time on their, you've got time on your side. You might as well use it. I think that's, yeah. that's the, that's the way we talked uh, with the Browns when they had the, the number one pick a couple of years ago, you didn't have to rush in anything. You, you can, you can use all, all the days at your disposal and, you know, and who knows when we'll, when players will be back in the building. It's no, you don't need to rush them back for the off-season workout program because that's not starting anytime soon. And so yeah. it's, it's, you can use this time on your side and, and make sure it's a, it's a right fit. And I think the Browns aren't the only team doing that uh, when it comes to a, a player like Jadavion Clowney. Yeah, no question about it. Those are some of the stories making news over the last 48 hours since, again, we last joined you on the best podcast available. Time now for our media segment and we've got one of the better up-and-coming draft analysts in America, Jordan Reed, former Division I quarterback. He's been a coach. He's been a recruiter uh, at the college level and now lending his expertise as senior NFL draft analyst at the Draft Network, which is an outstanding publication and website, thedraftnetwork.com. Some really good stuff on there on a daily basis from Kyle Krabs and his entire department and Jordan Reed falls underneath that. We had a chance to spend a few minutes with Jordan to get his thoughts on what this draft might look like, the quarterbacks, the offensive tackles, and options for the Browns in the second round. Have a listen. And happy to be joined by one of the best when it comes to breaking down the NFL draft. He's making quite the nice little niche for himself over at the Draft Network. Jordan Reed, former quarterback, uh, former coordinator, coach uh is there anything else that you haven't done that i've uh, <laughs> that i haven't said here in, in your opening introduction well a joke going around about me on twitter you guys have seen i'm sure is that i am not the former washington Redskins tight end jordan reed so <laughs> that's one thing <laughs> well we appreciate a few minutes of your time and yes not the tight end jordan reed indeed but Nonetheless, one of the best when it comes to breaking down the NFL draft. And you guys have some great stuff going on over at the Draft Network. And uh, let's hop right into it. A draft that, unlike anything we may have ever seen, is coming here in two weeks. Uh, the virtual draft. And as a former coach, as a former coordinator, recruiting, things like that, what, what are the biggest challenges behind the scenes from a front office coaching standpoint does something like this present going into this draft? Well, it's really interesting just because I actually asked some scouting buddies from around the industry, and I wrote an article about this a couple of days ago just to get some various opinions about it. And surprisingly, the, there was a lot of positives about it just because the NFL draft primarily is operated through the phone already as far as trades and calling in picks of that nature. I think where things are going to get a little bit difficult as far as the, uh, the video conferencing and people just talking over each other just because in the draft room, you have your natural arguments, you have your agreements, and you have your debates. But in the video conferencing, it gets a little bit difficult just because everybody's streamlined into that one area. Nobody really wants to talk over one another. But it's always good to have that person-to-person, in-person conversation. I should say it's a little bit different just because things can be operated. 
And I thought something that was really interesting that another scout told me from a various team is that you have these low-level assistants that really operate everything as far as a smart board or a whiteboard with these magnets that teams like to use and they like to play out scenarios and things of that nature. Now you're going to have these general managers that might not be as technical savvy. They're operating everything on their own as far as a draft board and seeing everything of that nature. So I thought that was a really interesting viewpoint. Jordan, what, what do you think was the biggest thing missed in the last month with no pro days, no 30 visits? Like what is the biggest chunk of information or events that these teams are going to miss because of, of, of what's been going on here? I think the personal side of it, especially when you have guys with medical situations or red flags, and I say that, and just for an example, like uh, Willie Gay Jr., the linebacker from Mississippi State, he has a couple of red flags associated with him. But with missing these private interviews, as far as getting players to your actual facilities, getting to sit down with them and just explain what happened, that's something you don't really get to figure out at the combine, just because everything is really speed dating in a sense. You only get to know these guys for. 15 minutes at a time, and then they have they're, – they're so overwhelmed with all these interviews that they have, but you get one day specifically to meet with these guys, and a lot of teams weren't really afforded that opportunity just because they missed out on these private interviews and getting them to, into your facility. So especially guys with medical situations and then with red flags, I think that's something we're going to see teams shy away from this year just because they weren't able to meet with that person in person. And how much does it hurt – talking with Jordan Reed from the Draft Network – how much does it hurt like a kid that – isn't at a D1 college that, you know, some of these smaller school guys going to be just as impacted, I would think. Absolutely. It's going to be huge just because at these private in interviews, you also have workouts as well. And this really where, especially for guys that weren't invited to the combine, you don't have testing numbers. You really only have the game film to go off from them. So um, a lot of teams like to get players, see them in person in a sense, just because you get to put them through your own drills that you necessarily put your own players through already whether that's in practices or just the normal operation that you have, that you put these prospects through every year. And with these small school guys, we know it's always a huge projection just because competition levels do matter to these teams, and rightfully so. Jordan, what's your, what's your hunch? This obviously is not going to be someone the Browns are taking, but what's your hunch on how teams are going to handle this, this Tua Tagovailoa thing? Because we've, we've talked about it before. It's a little different when you're taking an injury risk at the quarterback position and Obviously, where he goes and impacts what happens with the Browns at number 10. Honestly, I have no idea. Just because there's going to be 32 different opinions on him, just because every team wasn't able to get him into their medical situation, just because there were some teams that were able to get him into their facility prior to the pandemic happening. But you always want your own viewpoint as far as a medical standpoint about these players. And I know he had a hip specialist, I believe, from the Tennessee Titans do his, his examination for, for the most part. But... You always want your doctors just because you're going to have the most access to them. So um, the biggest thing on his resume, obviously, is the durability standpoint. But there's going to be some teams that shy away from him just because he's had surgery on both ankles already. We know about the hip situation. And he had, he's had some other nagging injuries as well. So um, there's rarely a situation or a circumstance where a player does just magically become healthy over the duration of their career on the next level. So it's going to be interesting to see where he does end up going. All right, talking with Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. Let's move on to the draft itself, and it, it's an exciting draft. There are a lot of big names. There's a lot of great positions that, with a lot of depth. When you take a look at the positions, uh, and I know you just put out your big board, what are your top three positions in this NFL draft? 
always with our question, offensive tackle, cornerback, and wide receiver. I think those would definitely be the top three. You really could argue between cornerback and running back. I think both of those are very strong for the most part. But for me, it would be cornerback, wide receiver, and offensive tackle. And I'll just start offensive tackle. I know you guys have been doing a lot of homework on those guys just because it's a huge position of need, even though the team already did sign Jack Conklin, which was terrific. So um, they're going to be looking for a day one starter at that left tackle position. And everybody knows about the big four and Jedrick Wills, Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas, and then Tristan Wirfs. But I think what really differentiates separates this class is really the depth associated with it. And let's say the Browns don't go with a guy at 10. I think they could get someone at 41 that could be just as good, whether that's a Josh Jones from Houston or a Lucas Niang from TCU or Austin Jackson from USC. So you're starting to differentiate and separate these guys into tiers, and there's not a huge drop-off in that offensive tackle group. Going more on that in that group, the first tier, second tier group, how, how do you how do you evaluate the difference between like an Andrew Thomas and an Ezra Cleveland? How much better is a player like that, for example, than, than an Ezra Cleveland right now? I think it just depends on the maturity that are associated with with them. And what I mean by that is how clean is he in pass protection, how how dominant is he as a run blocker? And then of course, what's really gonna be specific with the Cleveland Browns this year is that they love the wide zone scheme. So with the wide zone scheme, you have to have athletes. And it's not necessarily a mauling approach where you're just getting a body on a body and trying to maneuver people in certain directions. With Kevin Stefanski's scheme, you're trying to beat guys with angles and create running lanes. So a guy like Erza Cleveland, who tested in the 99th percentile in a lot of offensive tackle groups, as far as his testing numbers at the combine, they're going to have a lot of interest in him, as opposed to Andrew Thomas, who didn't test as well. But I think as far as the scheme fit, and being an athlete in that system, I think he would be a really good fit for them. Any concern about Jedrick Wills being only a right tackle? Is it is it easy to make that transition to left tackle? Yeah, because obviously looking at it, I would assume if the Browns were to take him at number 10, it, he would be making the move with Conklin already at there at right tackle. For me, I'm always very hesitant with moving guys to opposite directions or opposite position just because Jedrick has only played right tackle during his three years at Alabama, like you mentioned, and then moving him over to a completely opposite side of the ball. I think that would be a huge, huge cautionary tale for me just because uh, I, I actually talked to Andrew Thomas a couple of days ago, but actually yesterday, I should say, doing an interview with him for a story that I'm writing in. I, I, I blatantly asked him about it just because he started 15 games his freshman year at right tackle, and then he transitioned to the left side and played 28 games there. So, I wanted to know, and he gave me a great comparison, and he said, whichever food, whichever way you eat your food or whichever hand you eat your food with, it's like doing the opposite right away. So I thought that was really interesting in that it, he really gave a, a really a really good analogy as far as how difficult it can be. So it is very difficult, and that's why I say I'm very, very hesitant with switching guys to opposite positions. When you're grading guys uh, for the offensive tackle position, is your best true left tackle – also the best offensive lineman in this draft, or are they two different people? Well, I think with the strength of the offensive tackle class, I think this is a pretty down uh, interior group for the most part. So um, I have Jedrick Wills as my top guy right now, as far as the guy that I trust the most to be the instant type of impact contributor. Now he doesn't have the highest ceiling. I think Tristan Wirfs has the highest ceiling of all those guys, but if, when I'm building a big board, I'm going to build the board based on guys that I trust to have an instant impact right away maybe project into what they are or what they could be. I think that's where things get a little bit tricky. But as far as the guy that I think is going to come in, I know just can be a safe guy right now. Maybe not hit a home run, but if I'm just trying to get on base or 
hit a single or a double. I know Jedrick Wills can be that guy. Talking with Jordan Reed, senior draft analyst for the Draft Network. Make sure you check out all his great work and all the great work that they do leading up to the draft and even after the draft with analysis at thedraftnetwork.com. Jordan, if three tackles were off the board at 10, there's one left going to the 10th pick, but, but Isaiah Simmons is also there. What do you do if you're the Cleveland Browns? I, I don't think that Isaiah Simmons is going to be there, but Daniel Jeremiah the other day dropping that the other day and having the Browns – and it could be silly season. You could be just trying to get the hype machine going for the draft. But say Isaiah Simmons is there at 10. I mean, is he a guy that you just take and then work your way and hope that there's another tackle at 41? Yeah, so I have the philosophy that you should never pass on good players for me. And if Isaiah Simmons is a top player on your board and you have him higher than some of these tackles in this group, you absolutely take him just because he goes back to, you know, the players that I talked about that can be instant impact type of contributors. And we know with the Browns being very analytically driven this year, we know that Isaiah Simmons is going to be one of the top players on their board. So I'm completely fine with taking him at 10 and then coming back and getting a guy like a Lucas Niang in the second round. I think the Browns can definitely do that at 41. So, I think it would be a home run for them if they get Simmons and still get their day one starter at left tackle in the second round. Let me run that same hypothetical with you, but not with Simmons, but with a, a Jeffrey Okuda or a Derek Brown. Oh, yeah, without question. I think any one of those guys would be <laughs> terrific selections. I mean, Brown, Okuda, Simmons, any of those guys, I think definitely would be a priority over left tackle just because of the type of skill set that they bring to the table. And you just don't want to pass over good players just because when you start reaching for need, that's when you start getting yourself in trouble and you start passing up good players. Talking with Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. Jordan, if you take a look at second round, that pick at 41, um, a lot of options for the Browns, especially if they go tackle at 10, like most of us think they're going to. Um, thinking that there could be needs at safety, there could be needs at linebacker, edge rusher. What are your thoughts uh, in terms of the direction maybe the Browns should be looking in that second round? Well, they've kind of remade their safety for the most part. Uh, Andrew Sandejo is a guy that they brought in. Carl Joseph is another one that they brought in. So even though most of those guys probably aren't long-term starters, as far as, you know, guys, I think, I think what Andrew Barry has done a really good job of is that he hasn't forced his hand into picking one position. And I think with them filling in those guys right away at that safety spot, it doesn't put as huge of a need at safety. Uh, but they lost some good players in the middle of their defense, and I think they need to get somebody at that second level of uh, the defense at linebacker. So I think I would look there uh, for, for a pick. Willie Gay Jr. is one guy that I talked about earlier. I think 41 might be a little bit too rich for him. Um, but I think he's one player that could be there. Malik Harrison from Ohio State is one that I think would be a really good fit. He has a really interesting story, a guy that was a former quarterback coming into Ohio State, and then he transitioned to linebacker. So Malik Harrison is one guy that I definitely think could be worthy of that 41 overall pick. And then even there's some other more down-the-line guys that I think could be worthy as well. So it's just a matter of exactly what the Browns want to do at that 41 overall pick. But they could select the safety as well. This is a very deep safety class, and I think very similar to offensive tackle. It's just a matter of exactly what type of safety that you want. There's guys that can play one high. There's some that can sit on the roof and play that one high position. You have your traditional strong safety role. But one guy I think that they're going to like a lot, it just depends on if they're comfortable with his medical history, is Antoine Winfield Jr. 
he's one guy that I, one guy that I think would be a very good fit for the Browns defense. Are there any pass rushers that catch your eye being a potentially available at 41? I think there's a precipitous drop-off with this edge group just because after Chase Young and Kalevon Chason, I think I think things get a little bit tricky. You get into guys like Zach Bond from Wisconsin. He could be there at 41. A.J. Epinesa, who seems to be falling a little bit after his combine performance. But after that, you get into guys that have a little bit of injury history. Daryl Taylor from Tennessee is one that comes to mind. Jabari Zuniga from Florida, two guys that really have had some, some medical history in the past, but they had that potential that you're looking. I just would be more comfortable taking them in, in the third round as opposed to the second round. Jordan, we appreciate the time. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. Even though you're staying at home, like everybody else in the country, <laughs> there's plenty of work to get done here over the next two weeks leading up to the 2020 NFL draft. You can follow him at J Reed NFL, R E I D, not the tight end. And we appreciate your time, Jordan, as always. Keep up the great work over at the Draft Network. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. Want to thank Jordan Reed for his time. Gribbs, your big takeaway from the Jordan Reed interview. Well, it's interesting because he's one of the many people who believe Jedrick Wills is the best tackle in this year's draft. But then that raises the issue, though. He, he wasn't too great, too, too big on Wills moving to a different position. And the, the Browns don't need him to play right tackle. They need him to play left tackle. So that, to me, it's interesting because I, I wonder – I think Wills has the potential, and like Jordan said, he's probably the safest pick in the draft, but I do wonder what the adjustment curve would be like for him moving to left tackle, which I presume he would if the Browns took him. That's why, to me, it's it's looking more and more like if you're looking for the best left tackle in this draft at number 10, it keeps lining up to me as being Andrew Thomas. Because I think when you're talking about the – the skill set that might be needed in the wide zone, the realistic uh, chances that the player is there at number 10. Thomas is the one that seems to be making the most sense to me at this point. But to me, to me at, right now, though, I, I still see all four guys on the table. See, and it's interesting. We've had Joe Thomas and John Greco on Browns Daily say that Tristan Wirfs to them has some arm length questions and might end up being a better guard than a tackle. You've got the Wills comments today from Jordan Reed saying, well, I don't know if he can make the switch over to left tackle. He can play right tackle. And if those two situations are indeed the case, you've got two tackles, which would lend me to think that if one or both of them aren't around, the, the situation is the Browns would trade back and try to go for that maybe that second tier of tackles, which, by the way, they'd be in the first tier if it weren't for – the tackle class being so deep. Yeah, the name you keep getting thrown around with the Browns is Ezra Cleveland. I mean, Dane brought him up last week on the podcast, and the guy tested out really well at the Combine. Great last name. You know, all the things that, that fit with what you're looking to do, and, and there could be some real value uh, if you're able to trade back. It's just a matter of how far do you move back to, to a point where you're comfortable enough of getting him, and what kind of offer are you looking to get? I mean, are you hoping to acquire another second-round pick? Uh, maybe would it be multiple picks? I mean, that's that's the that's the, the tough decision that Andrew Barry would have to make if 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 the guy if their top choice maybe isn't there uh, at number ten. All right, do you agree with him when he says if Simmons is on the board and one of the four tackles at number ten that you go with the best player available instead of taking for need? I do if you have a solid backup plan to get the left tackle addressed. 
and that's that that it, it so it, it really matters on how these other guys are ranked so if you if you have this your confidence in that second group and you have the means to go get that person if it if you're probably not going to be able to get him at 41 then you do whatever you can to go get that player and i i think that simmons is is a clearly exceptional player he also i mean the Browns need a left tackle. They also need some linebackers. So, I mean, it's not as if Simmons is out there playing, you know, wide receiver or something like that. I mean, this is a linebacker that the team really needs. So I would, I would not hesitate with the Simmons pick, but then you better have a plan to go address your left tackle situation because waiting until 41 probably isn't the plan if you're trying to maybe get that second-tier guy who probably won't be there at 41. All right. Also, Jordan Reed wanted to let us know that this coming Monday – their draft guide will be out on the draftnetwork.com. You can access it there. Uh, some great stuff from Jordan, and we appreciate his time and, and wish him continued success. A couple of things before we get out of here uh, on a Thursday. Only three teams, the top three teams, have contacted Chase Young. Are you surprised by that? It, not really, just because I think it's it's one of those – foregone conclusions that they might think they have no chance of getting him. It might be that they think that he's a Redskins player or bust. And, I, and so I think when you're going through this process where you got to maximize every moment you have with guys that are realistic to you, that, that, that's to me probably what, what, why, why it's happening. I mean, you, the, the, the situation is already crunched with how much time you're getting with the players you're, you're able to talk to. So now there's even more pressure to, to absolutely maximize every bit of exposure you get to the players who you might take. Yeah, I, I just, it, I, it, it shoots the Redskins little bluff right in the foot that, yeah. well, we're open for business and we're thinking about taking a quarterback. That doesn't sound like that's going to happen. Well, Matter of fact. Probably thinking if the Redskins, but if the Redskins do take a quarterback, everyone's probably like, well, the Lions will not hesitate. I mean, they'll, they'll, go, they'll go get Chase Young. I mean, that's the, that would be, I, I imagine, is what, what's being assumed by most teams right now. By the way, Ron Rivera uh, on Wednesday said if it's a shortened training camp that he thinks Kyle Allen would be the front runner to be the starting quarterback on opening day. That's, uh, that's, that's intriguing. I mean, that I don't know if that's a way to get Haskins motivated. It's not as if Haskins didn't play last year. I mean, that guy yeah. played, played just as much as Kyle Allen, didn't he? I mean – I think he played a little more. You're splitting hairs on who was better either. I mean, they both were – I mean, they're – they, they were acceptable, I, I think, at the position. I think Allen had some, had a few more highlights, maybe, but he had a better team. Uh, you know, Haskins didn't have Christian McCaffrey behind him uh, in Washington. No. So, I mean, they, it's all about maybe it's all about keeping Haskins motivated. Or on the other side, it's like maybe that they've just they're moving on potentially. It's just I mean, Haskins isn't Rivera's guy. So I mean, there's there's no unit. We've seen that before. I mean, once you're the people who were around to pick you aren't there anymore. Loyalty just isn't, isn't as strong. Yeah, no question. All right. Peter King was on the Pat McAfee show. And he says that there are people in the Bengals building, wouldn't name names, but he said there are people that love Justin Herbert. And he said if he were the Miami Dolphins, and the Dolphins were totally 150% bought in to Joe Burrow as the guy that they needed to have to restart their franchise, that the Dolphins should call the Bengals and offer them four number one picks 
over this year and the three this year, one of their two next year, that would still leave them with one first rounder next year and four twos this year and next to go with Burrow. Do you, if you're the Dolphins, do you really need to move up? Are you really that desperate to go get Joe Burrow that it's going to cost you four number one picks? You know, I don't think it's the craziest idea. I just don't. I mean, I think like if you if you if you think he's the best quarterback and he can help your franchise and you feel wishy washy on on the other two, I mean, then you have to do it. I mean, it, we didn't we have these discussions back a few years ago, like how many first round picks would you trade to get Andrew Luck on your team, and would the Colts even take it? I mean, what would be the number that the Colts would take it at? I mean, I I don't think it's the craziest idea, and if. But I just – I would more think – I don't think the Bengals would take it unless they really do believe in Justin Herbert, who, again, as we've talked about in the podcast before, they've, they've had exposure to Justin Herbert. They spent a whole week with him. They've had more time with Justin Herbert than they've had with, with Joe Burrow. So, I don't – it would be the – it would be a crazy trade. I think it would be a risky trade. But when it comes to the quarterback position, I think all bets are off. I mean, this is like the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George territory where you're throwing around seven first-round picks or whatever it was that got the deal done uh, there. So I, I think especially when one of the their backup options for beyond Burrow is a guy with a hip injury, I mean, I don't think it's that crazy. This is why you, this is why you tanked. This is why you, 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 you were so bad and got all the assets that it's to make deals like this. It's to make the crazy deals to get, uh, to, to get the player you believe will turn around your franchise, and there's no position more important than quarterback. It is a long way from pick number one to pick number five. It doesn't seem like it, but it is a long, long way from number one to number five. I, I don't. I, I think you have so many holes if you're the Dolphins. I, if that's your guy, it, like you said, if you believe that he's the face of the franchise and he can he can change everything, then I guess you go get him. I just think you're going to get your quarterback at number five. I mean, there, there's no way that Chase Young is going to fall to number five. No. I mean, that would be quite the amazing turnaround right there. Um, in terms of Okuda and Simmons, maybe they could fall. Maybe there would be a tackle. Maybe someone makes a trade with the Giants. But it's, a, it's one of those things where it's like you go through your first year with two at Tagovailoa and he's not playing all that much because he's hurt. And you're like, man, did we really pass on Joe Burrow because we were able to draft CD Lamb and Josh Jones? Like, is that, is that, are those the two guys that are holding us back from the quarterback we really want? I mean, that's, that's the way you have to approach this. I mean, there's creative ways you can fix your other holes. There's not really many creative ways you can get the quarterback of your future. Especially with as much draft capital as I, I don't hate the idea. I just don't think the Bengals are interested. No, I, and I still, I, I still think the Bengals. I, I think people are overthinking things, and I think two weeks from now, um, it's going to be a, quite a simple decision, and Joe Burrow is going to be the number one pick in this draft. Yeah, I mean, Ohio it's, it's kid, what, it just makes too much sense. It's what we do, and it's the, we get bored with the expected, and I think that this year's there's been way less draft type than usual. But we, even then, we still get bored with what's expected. And it's, yeah. Usually, as I said, there's not many surprises with the number one pick. There's usually not many surprises with the number two pick. Uh, so it's just it's one of those things where you try to create a little excitement for, for what's ultimately going to be the inevitable. 
All right, the draft is two weeks from today, and we are back with you next Tuesday. Uh, in terms of the top five at each position, we will talk quarterback next week and the top five at that position, uh, a few other positions as well, including corner and safety, I do believe. So uh, we will have you covered next Tuesday. And then next Thursday, Dane Brugler rejoins us to preview the draft one week out. Uh, we're working on a few other people as well to join us over the next few weeks. We have you covered through the draft and then past as we interview the new faces of the Cleveland Browns once the draft is in our rearview mirror. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel for all of his hard work. Thanks to Jordan Reed for his time. To Paul Taylor, as always, for his support on things. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today to the best podcast available. Also, check out our videos. We've been getting some pretty good traction on some of that, Gribbs. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, not too shabby at all. Uh, YouTube.com slash Browns. Our video team has done a great job creating some new content, some stay-at-home features, and a few more things that will be coming up in the days and weeks as we continue to stay at home. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. This has been the best podcast available.